Hello, and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And today, the topic of our podcast is loving yourself first. Now, we've all heard that we need to love ourselves before we can truly offer love to someone else. What does that really mean? How do we know when we're there? When do we know we're really ready for a relationship? Well, in this episode of Pandora's Box, I'm doing a deep dive into self-love and what the path back to self really is. If we don't get this part right, we won't get relationships right. So stay tuned. You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. When we are at odds with ourselves, ridden with anxiety, and struggling with strong feelings of shame and low self-worth, those feelings are only likely to increase when we enter into a relationship. Not right away, of course, during the honeymoon phase of a relationship. You may even feel your self-worth increase when you initially get involved with someone. But after the honeymoon period has ended and the relationship transitions into a less intense, more stable type of relationship, as it should if you are healthy, the feelings that belong to you that you came into the relationship with will be the feelings you ultimately bring to the relationship. Now, I'm not saying that a healthy and loving partner can't do wonders for our self-worth if they show us consistent love and support, but the issue is if we can't offer to ourselves that love and support, we won't be able to trust it or fully accept it from another. We will struggle with our own feelings of unworthiness, which will ultimately be projected outward to our relationship partner, and then question the intentions, motives, and fidelity of our partner. All relationships begin at home with ourselves, and we need to make this our primary focus, even if we are in relationship with another. We've got to stay present and tuned into ourselves and our own feelings. We have to work on healing feelings of shame and low self-worth. We've got to learn how to talk to ourselves in kind, loving, and positive ways. When we can't talk to ourselves with love and kindness, our feelings for ourselves will ultimately be transferred to our relationship partners. Kindness to ourselves equals kindness to others. When we feel good about ourselves, we'll be able to feel good about others. Now, in this episode, I'm not talking about toxic and narcissistic partners. We all know that we will never be able to have a loving, kind, and reciprocal relationship with a narcissist. But our self-love will prevent us from staying in these kinds of relationships. When we truly love and care for ourselves, we won't allow ourselves to be mistreated by others. We learn to have strong boundaries and we command respect from others. When others are unkind and disrespectful, we typically back away or back out altogether. 
But sometimes when we are stuck in repeating patterns of getting involved in one toxic relationship after another, we need to consider our relationship with ourselves as the culprit. Remember, you don't have the power to change others, but you do have the power to change yourself. This is where your focus needs to be. If you have low self-worth, you will likely attract a mirror for that low self-worth by attracting someone who devalues you and finds fault with you. They are showing you on some level how you feel about yourself. We attract mirrors for our relationship with ourselves. It is the low self-worth within us that causes us to be sticky for the mud that others sling our way. We take that mud on because on some level we believe we deserve it. But when we up-level our feelings about ourselves and no longer have a core belief that we are unworthy of love and kindness, the mud others throw our way will have no place to stick. So how do we turn this around? How do we change those negative feelings we carry around about ourselves? Well, first of all, we need to learn to pay attention. We need to tune in or otherwise tune inward to our feeling selves. Our feeling selves, the part of us that carries the emotions, give us our greatest clues to that inner reality, that inner relationship. We need to get used to asking ourselves, how am I feeling right now? We need to develop that honest relationship with ourselves and our feelings. The second thing we need to do is watch how we talk to ourselves. Listen, pay attention. What do you say to yourself on a daily basis? Do you tell yourself that you are stupid, ugly, worthless? Do you tell yourself that you'll never amount to anything? That you'll never lose weight or get the right job or never have the right relationship? Did you know that this kind of negative self-talk comes with it, a self-fulfilling prophecy? When you're constantly telling yourself that you'll never have a healthy relationship, for example, you're feeding this information to your subconscious mind and it is recording it. It's basically taking the information in and entering it into the computer of your subconscious. I will never have a healthy relationship. And this becomes your experience. You continue to program that over and over and over. If, on the other hand, you tell yourself, I'm working hard on loving myself so I can have a really amazing, loving, and healthy relationship You're feeding this information to your subconscious mind. You need to stay mindful and tuned in so you're aware of what you're telling yourself most often. You know, most people, you know, with the tons of thoughts that we have in a day are completely unaware of what they're thinking. It's almost like they're They're surfing above the waters, and they have no idea what's going on inside of those waters. So as we start to pay attention, then we can tell what's going on beneath those waters. We can tell what's emerging, what's coming up, those thoughts that we're consistently churning over and over and over throughout the day. 
Some clients will tell me that they talk negatively about themselves because they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel worthy. Well, let me tell you something. Although your core wounds are deeply rooted and low self-worth is a particularly deep root, you don't change it by magically feeling good about yourself. Feeling good about yourself is not the prerequisite here. Your feelings towards yourself respond directly to what you say to yourself, what you allow in from the outside world, and how you treat yourself overall. So it may take work to treat yourself with kindness and respect, even if you're not feeling good. But it's work that is well worth it. One of the first things you need to do in order to turn around your low self-worth is develop compassion towards yourself. Many empathic people tell me how much they feel for others, but they don't have much compassion or empathy for themselves. Now this takes practice. This is a practice. You need to practice being kind and offering yourself compassion. You may have an understanding that you have low self-worth as a result of childhood abuse or neglect. We offer that child who was neglected or abused compassion. Be kind to that child. Stop kicking her when she's down or kicking him when he's down. I often suggest that people set up an altar for their inner child. Put a picture of yourself at around five years old or younger on a desk or a table or a shelf and put some other objects with the picture that you think the inner child would like, like a crystal or a favorite rock or a flower or something that you think the child would like. And then every day, go to your altar and talk to the child in a positive and loving way. Tell the child how much you love him or her. Be kind, be gentle, be compassionate as you would to any child. Let the child know you believe in her and she will go far in life. Tell her she's worthy and lovable and do this every day. I have people set up altars to their inner child because the altar is a reminder to stop and talk to that child. Otherwise, we tend to forget about this precious being that lives inside of us. In the realm of the subconscious mind, there is no past, present, and future. It's all happening now at one time. So if you were traumatized as a child and you suffer from childhood PTSD, that trauma is still alive and well inside of you. The pain and suffering of the inner child does not go away once we grow up. It may go underground. We have some really sophisticated ways to distract ourselves from the child, to medicate it, to avoid it, but it's still there. The unattended inner child becomes a hungry ghost, trying to desperately get our love and attention. It also desperately tries to get the love and attention from its primary caretakers. So if your parents are still alive and you still have a relationship with them, you may find yourself resorting to childhood ways or feeling like a child when you're around them. 
you may find yourself still trying to get their approval or positive attention or support or whatever it is that you didn't get as a child. But another way we attempt to get our childhood needs met is through our adult relationships, especially those intimate relationships. We transfer our desire to get what we needed from our parents to the primary relationship partner. But the dynamic can only continue if we choose partners where we feel the same sense of inadequacy, the same longing for attention, or the same need for approval. If we are with someone who gives us what we need, that longing to get what we don't have isn't there. So we can't heal the wounds of the past by getting the person who can't really love us to love us. This is a crazy dynamic that happens all the time in relationships. We find the people most like our parents, and then we try to get what we never got from the parents from our relationship partner. And this is done out of an attempt to right the wrongs of the past. It's all happening subconsciously. So most people aren't aware that they're engaged in this dynamic. Only there's a design flaw here. It doesn't work. We're subconsciously being attracted to someone who has the same issues or distractions as one or both of our parents. They may be narcissistic or drug addicted or alcoholic or mentally ill or avoidant, workaholic. At first, these people feel really comfortable because they're familiar. But after the relationship settles into a routine, we begin to notice that we're feeling much as we did as a child in that relationship, constantly trying to get our needs met. We have to be aware of our primary relationship with our parents and understand where our unmet needs are. And this isn't about blaming the parents. It's about understanding ourselves and our own wounds and unmet needs. So we need to courageously do a deep dive into our childhood and bring that child back into our lives. Make your altar. If you can't stand to look at a picture of yourself as a child or you feel nothing but disdain for that child, there's a lot of healing work that needs to happen. I would recommend that you do some inner child healing. Hypnosis is a great way to begin this journey, to do an inner child healing hypnosis session. It would be well worth it. You can't change and up-level your feelings of self-worth when you despise your inner child. That part has to be worked on first. The reason people despise their inner child is that they cut off from those feelings of unworthiness at some point in their childhood and assign all those bad feelings to the child before casting it into the shadows. I know I did this. When I was a child, I got the message there was something really wrong with me. I was strange. I was inadequate. I was unlovable. So as I grew up, I found I could begin to influence how others perceived me. So I cast my inner child deep into the shadows where she couldn't be seen. She was the one they didn't like. She was the one who was bullied. She was the one who was abused. She was the one who never felt loved. So I rejected her. 
I built my own false self that was based on appearances and accomplishments. I was seeking that outer approval to hide the inner pain. Well, how many people do you think do this? But eventually, it all catches up with us. The inner child doesn't go away. She's really controlling things from the inside. She's still trying to get her needs met. She's still in there feeling unworthy and unloved in spite of everything we do and try to make ourselves into someone acceptable by society. My first day of college, I was put in a dorm room with three other women. Two of them were cheerleaders for the college football team, and they had been cheerleaders in high school and were attractive women. And when I first walked into the room, they were so excited to meet me. They said to me, we're so glad that you're pretty. We were afraid we were going to get an ugly roommate. You fit right in. Well, I was very surprised they thought of me as pretty because I never felt that I was pretty or popular in any way. I was still that ugly, rejected child inside. My first thought was, wait until they find out that I'm really ugly. Of course, this was all superficial approval. They didn't care who I was inside. They only cared how I looked to them. On the outside, I was considered pretty, but on the inside, I was lost, ugly, unwanted, and unlovable. I couldn't enjoy my newfound attractiveness because it was only an outside illusion that didn't match how I felt on the inside. And how we feel on the inside is going to contribute a whole lot more to getting that ideal relationship for ourselves, that truly loving relationship, then how we look on the outside. How we look on the outside may attract people in, but once they get in, who you are on the inside is what really allows that relationship to develop. When I was in fifth grade, the class bully met me in the hallway and punched me in the stomach so hard that I fell to the floor. And while I was lying on the floor looking up at him, I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, because you are so ugly. I equated being unloved with how I looked. I was so ugly that people wanted to hurt me. That explained why I felt so bullied by my stepfather, by my brother, by others when I was growing up. I didn't deserve to be treated kindly because I was ugly. I grew up believing I was ugly. It never mattered how my body and my face transformed as I grew up and became a young woman. Inside, I still felt ugly. I was recruited as a model when I was a teenager because I was tall, slender, and attractive. Although I was flattered to be chosen, I didn't feel attractive enough, and my self-worth wasn't as high as the other models who really flaunted their stuff. Now I learned to walk with my shoulders back and my head high because this was required to be a good runway model. And perhaps in many ways, this saved me because it gave me the illusion of having confidence, you know, shoulders back, head high. But inside, I was still that child lying on the ground after being punched or kicked or hit. I was still that child who had blackberries rubbed in her hair. 
I was still that child whose best friend told her she couldn't play with her anymore because the other kids wouldn't like her. I was still that ugly misfit. It wasn't until I was in school training to be a clinical hypnotherapist in my mid-twenties that I learned about healing the inner child. And I began to recognize that I even had an inner child. I began doing some inner child healing. And as a result, I started to increase my confidence in myself. I started to increase my self-worth. I realized that the child I was wasn't really ugly. She was just sensitive. And sensitive children see right into other people. And other people don't want to be seen. People who feel ugly on the inside, when you look into their eyes and you see them, they project that ugliness outward and attack it on the outside. And this happens all the time. So slowly, I began to understand so much about myself and where I came from. And I began to rescue the inner child from her prison. I learned how to treat her with love and kindness and watch my own language. I had become that person who abused my own inner child because this is what I had learned she deserved. But as I became aware of this, I could see that she didn't at all deserve to be treated the way she'd been treated. She was a good person. She was lovable. She was worthy. And so I started to tell her this. Now I am someone whose confidence on the outside matches the inside. I feel good about myself most of the time. It's not that I don't have bad days or times where I don't feel good. I'm still sensitive, and I still feel hurt sometimes. But I know how to take care of the child within, and this makes all the difference in my level of worthiness and confidence. Sometimes it's the wounded child within us that causes us to have compassion for the wounded child in a toxic partner because we're projecting our own needs for love and compassion outwards. So we offer that abusive partner more love and understanding than we even offer ourselves. In fact, so many women I work with tell me that they feel sorry for their narcissistic partner who has treated them horribly because they had such a rough childhood. Most of these women also had a rough childhood, but they aren't able to offer their own inner child the same compassion and understanding as they offer that narcissistic partner. They're actually projecting their own needs outward onto the partner and caretaking him. Meanwhile, these same women subject their own inner child to more neglect, abuse, and control with little or no attention to their own needs for love, kindness, and respect. What most of us need to learn to do is to stop catering to the wounded inner child in the other and start tuning our attention to tending to our own wounded child. We can't love other people to health because we can only 
ever really accept love to the degree that we're able to offer it to ourselves. So we can throw a lot of love at a person who's not able to receive it. They can't let it in because they don't trust it. Well, many of us are the same way. We really can't let that love in because we don't trust it. We first need to learn to offer it to ourselves. We need to find ourselves our own inner child worthy of love, kindness, and respect. And we need to offer these things to our inner child. By offering kindness, love, compassion, and respect to our own inner child, we begin to build trust. Our inner child begins to trust us to be there for it on a consistent basis. We'll never be able to trust anyone else to be there for us consistently if we can't trust ourselves to be there for us consistently. We can't trust others not to abandon us when we can't trust ourselves not to abandon us. We first need to learn to love the one within who so desperately needs our love and attention. We need to tend to the needs of the child. We need to validate the child and find that child worthy. We need to treat it with kindness and respect. And most of all, we need to protect it. We protect our inner child by not allowing it to remain in abusive situations. There's nothing that destroys the trust of the inner child more than allowing that child to be abused. We need to create an environment for that child to heal and learn that it's worthy of love. It needs to be in a stable environment where it's not always operating in fight or flight. The child needs safety. When we can finally begin to trust ourselves to offer love, kindness, compassion, and respect for the one within and foster a sense of safety in our daily lives, we may be ready to trust someone else with this fragile seed. And we need to look at the child within as a fragile seed that needs to be carefully tended to, loved, nurtured, and watered. Once we take on that responsibility to tend to the fragile seed, we may be able to bring someone else in who takes that same care with the fragile seed within as we do. One who wants to snuff out our flame and pull the fragile shoots from the earth should not be allowed into our inner world at all. We are the tenders of our own garden, and we need to protect it with all that we have. Once our own garden is flourishing, we are ready to invite the right co-gardener into our lives. Otherwise, we're better off remaining a solo gardener until we do have a flourishing garden. So with that being said, be the best gardener that you can possibly be. Make this your mission. Tend to yourself first and foremost. Say no to those who can't offer you positive attention and care. Take responsibility for yourself. Take that responsibility back. I hope this has been helpful for you. 
If you would like more information on me and my work and my coaching, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Again, I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next podcast.